I think that we're born spiritual creatures, which is a deep abiding love of other humans, of nature, a oneness with nature and with other people, a patience, accepting of everyone in everything. And we often have something that chases that out of us. Chases that out of us. You know, plant medicine has given me a lot more compassion. Compassion. Passion. 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 We start to see our own mortality. Death is coming. And we look back and like, what did I learn from this amazing lesson? Because I do believe whatever energy we've created here, we are taking that experience to the next experience, whatever that is, whatever energy burst I am. Whatever energy burst I am. I only realized in the last two years that I've been sexist as fuck. Sexist as fuck. I was in a mushroom ceremony two weeks later and I saw these amazing lights. I'd never seen anything like it, so it was extraordinary. But then I realized that it was familiar, that I knew exactly what it was. In this space where we go, this mystical state of consciousness, I'm like, how can this be that I've never seen anything this amazing, yet I know what this is? And then I realized I was looking at my wife and that I know her. I know her very well, yet I don't know her at all. Sexist as fuck. I haven't seen her in many ways. And, you know, what I kind of realized is that she's Johnny Carson and I'm Ed McMahon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. You want someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. You want religion, do you? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. Even by end, this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 708 magic mushrooms Utah Senator Steve Urquhart, and the Divine Assembly, Part 1. Now today I'm joined once again by Christine Stenquist, who I interviewed a few months ago about her incredible life story and her experience working for the legalization of medical cannabis in Utah. In that interview, Christine talked about the role that psychedelics like magic mushrooms have recently played in helping her find a greater peace of mind. She also mentioned her friend and fellow crusader, former Utah Senator Steve Urquhart, who recently started a psilocybin church in Utah. So over the next three episodes, Christine and I will be talking with Steve about his story, how he rediscovered his own love for life, his own spirituality, and why he started a new church around a psychedelic sacrament. 
You're also going to hear a pretty passionate soapbox speech from me at the end of today's episode, so I hope you listen all the way to the end. And we start off by getting Steve's reaction to the interview that I did with Christine. He was driving back from California to Utah and got so emotional that he had to pull over on the side of the road. But don't just take it from me. Take a listen for yourself. Okay. Is everything all right? Yeah, I was just telling about my drive yesterday. Ah, how was it? Well, I'm telling telling about the part of just having to pull over and cry. It was it was contemplative. Let's say it was a contemplative drive. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What 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 kind of thoughts came into your mind as you were listening? Well, to just that? my my love for Christine, my awe for Christine, and you know, I mean, I see her uh, as just the most amazing political figure of my life which means you know an amazing human and uh you know beautiful soul courageous strong but you know her story um i don't know anything like it you know i don't know personally aaron brockovich i don't know you know and i know mr smith goes to washington was fiction um but you know i i know of her heroism and uh her strength in, in fighting, but, you know, uh, I knew some of the details, a lot of the details of her story, but I didn't know, I hadn't heard it laid out like that. And, um, that was just fucked up. Just fucked up. If you, if you were going to turn Christine's story into like an Aaron Brockovich type, story i mean clearly we've we've got christine cast in the role of the protagonist the hero what what's the antagonist what where where is the fucked upness coming from in in the story who is that well i think you know if i were to tell her story um you know she she beat the mormon church in utah and that's you know this is this is David and Goliath. I mean, this is Christine and Goliath. Uh, th- that's always a big story, and so I think that's the story: is um, how does someone do this? And part of the way someone does it is they probably haven't walked an easy path to get to that point. I mean, Christine. Uh, you know, has been in the depths of hell, has, has faced just the ugliness of life and survived it. And so, you know, I guess that's a, that's a big part of the story. Cause I, you know, I, I've looked at Christine, I'm like, how does she do this? How does she, and now I know a little more how and why, because after, after what she lived, Mormon church isn't going to scare her, you know, a bunch of powerful political insiders aren't going to scare her. Yeah. You what know, you, so what do you, what do you think as you hear this, Christine? Oh, I'm, go ahead and finish your thoughts, Steve. I mean, it, 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 it obviously was a hellacious path to walk, but I think only having walked that path, can someone just be that mentally, spiritually, emotionally tough to take down the church on a big one that it threw everything it had at. 
So my question to you, Christine, yeah. how, how do you respond when you hear Steve saying that? Like I told him before, when he describes me, I always say, God, I want to meet that person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Because um, when you live your life, you don't, I, I just didn't think my story was unique. I didn't think it was unique. I think we all have these trials that we go through and we all are very quiet about the trials we've experienced. And I just was very quiet about kind of the traumas I've, I've experienced that led me to here. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't till going up against such an entity as powerful as, as the, the LDS church, but also the government, the legislative body, the people that empower in my state, the people that run the health departments that run our, you know, our agriculture, like going up against people that, um, I see why, why and how my path led me through some, some of those difficult challenges. Yeah. It, I am, I think if I had a, a uh, blessed life where I didn't have trials and tribulations, I would have given up the first time a legislator said, Oh, that's nice little girl. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen here in Utah. Um, I, I would have said, oh, oh, you're right, and and I've gone back home. But I lived for so long. Oh, oh you're, you're right, wise Senator Urquhart. That's right. <laughs> Those, um, I did say that to to Senator Urquhart. You know, I think that this is the the path we were going. Before I got on this call, I was on a call with um, some allies who were with me, and we were talking about the two entities that are at odds, messaging wise, in our community, and it is the government and those who want to do incremental steps and those who want to do what's right. And I very much reside in the sphere of those who want to do what's right. I don't think we should trickle bliss and happiness and comfort to people at the profit of corporations and, and power and those that are, um, are pulling the puppet strings. And that's what I saw the, the LDS church is trickling happiness. I feel like that with religion though, is that they, they trickle out happiness and bliss. If you do this precept, if you do this concept and learn this principle, you will attain this forever after, but only when you die. And I just don't believe that that's the way it should be. I think we should do, be doing what's right. And that's why I kept fighting. I just kept fighting is that's what's right. Um, yeah. You know, and so to back to your question of what, how to tell the story, I think I'd, sh you know, show show the specifics of Christine beating the Mormon church um, and then just kind of do a massive flashback of what makes someone this courageous, this strong, this tough. Yeah. Cause I'll be honest, I didn't have those feelings about the church. I, I like Steve, I'm a convert. And so I was like 10 years old when I came to the church, it was my mother's faith and she has, a history and deep roots in Utah. She was born in Ogden. Um, when I was 10, I was introduced to the church and I always felt I was spiritual as a kid too. Um, Cause I used to ask my dad why we didn't go to church or when we would go. And then he made sure we went, you know, we were always going on the important holidays, Christmas and Easter, but he wasn't a very spiritual guy. And so being the only girl being raised by a cop, and my brother, I, I think I was just more sensitive. So when I was introduced to the church, it 
appealed to me this this family is forever kind of concept and I really cleave to it I wanted this and when I moved to Utah and saw kind of up close and personal with the church it's not it, it's not the marketing that I was shown as a kid growing up in the 70s and the 80s about what the church looked like. So it, it it changed for me. I started to see the church as a power, another puppet master over people, just like politics was. And that's really when I developed a disdain for yeah. for the role that they play in people's lives. You know. Yeah. Well, Steve, I... I... Christine mentioned a couple of things, uh, one that you were a convert, and then she also talked about the spiritual uh, appeal of the teachings of the Mormon church um, when, when she was a convert. And I know that's something that you want to talk about, Steve, is spirituality, and, and right. I didn't know that you were a convert. So, um, you know, but before, before we really set up the Mormon church as the big bad guy that, <laughs> because I know, you know, you're, both of you have fought against the Mormon church in political arenas and won in the state of Utah, which is amazing. Um, yep. But so let's, let's set that up. What, how, how did it get to that point? How did you get involved in the Mormon church to start off with Steve? And what was your relationship with it? So Christine and I joined at the same age. I was 10, she was 10, 11. Um, and you were so, in Texas? Yeah, I was in Houston. Yeah. So, you know, my family was dysfunctional um, and just really bad at communication, as in not even ever trying. And uh, so, you know, my parents hated each other by the time I was born. Um, my uh, father found the love of his life the year I was born and it was not my mother. And, um, so they, uh, you know, my parents, they didn't get divorced until I went away to college. Cause they, wow. That's a long they time thought to they were, live like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't around much. And, uh, you know, my first day of school, my senior year, I, got in a fight and he wanted to parent. And at that point, my brother had gone, he had just gone away to college, my just older than me brother. And uh, uh, without that buffer, you know, my dad and I didn't know what to do with each other. And so he wanted to father that day. And uh, I just told him, I said, you know what, I think you need to move. <laughs> you just need to get out of here. And uh mm -hmm his credit he did um but so, so let me let me let me see if i can get the timeline straight and by the way chris christine feel free to jump in at any point i mean we're having a, a free conversation here you don't need to like be respectful and defer to me or anything <laughs> okay um uh so so your parents started having issues they hated each other when you were born your dad found the love of his life you joined the mormon church when you were 10 Fill me in on what happened between your mom and dad and your family from age zero to age 10. That was it your mom that joined the church, your dad that joined the church. Yeah. Well, How did that happen? I'm, I'm first telling you the lack of communication. So they got divorced when I went away to college. And so I came home uh, for Thanksgiving and uh, uh, I'm like, you know, where's where's dad? 
and uh so my brother or no i didn't so just my brother was there and so a girlfriend and i he was asleep we came in and we uh got some warm water and we're gonna put it we were putting his hand in the warm water just the old method see if he would pee his bed and so he uh, your dad no to my brother oh to your brother okay and uh (laughs) so he uh he just said look take susan home and come back and i'm like whoa that's pretty grumpy and he said just take her home come back so you know i came back home i'm like what and he said mom and dad got divorced and uh when you went away to college and i'm like oh and he's like yeah see you in the morning so that's, that's were they living well. were they living in the same house that whole time no 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 i mean they he was episodically there you know just kind of i imagine during this we'll talk about dad he's someone who he he tried his best well here's the thing he's a lot like me or i i realized with a lot of my mess as i left the mormon church i'm a lot like him so Mm. i didn't understand him until i started to fall apart Mm. and it gave me you know plant medicine has given me a lot more compassion for him he was he was a mess i mean he was he was you know a, a moron genius and uh uh you know just had had a lot of demons so anyways that's the backdrop is you know they didn't like each other they were dysfunctional both i think very sad and depressed and then uh my 19 year old brother killed himself when when i was six Mm. and um so that really rocked things further i think my mom crawled in the grave with him in a lot of ways and so we obviously needed something they realized that they were failing as parents and uh uh you know some along came some neighbors who um my brother and i really liked they were athletes we were athletes and they were mormon and uh they were stable and they started inviting us to their church and um the thing that got me is uh so i have I have a photographic memory. And so they they had the blazer chart and, uh, you know, we were kind of poor. We didn't have shit. And so they had this beautiful blazer chart with these cool buttons that you could put on it. Like just like a felt, like a felt board that they were telling their, their missionary stories on. No, it was the articles of faith. And so they were listed. How old are you, Glenn? 48, almost 49. Okay, so I was, I was so born in '72. Should, yeah, so I was 65. You should know this. I mean, I think it was yeah. still around. It was the blazer chart, so it was kind of. It wasn't even that nice. It was kind of plasticky, but those buttons were cool as anything. And then down <laughs> at the bottom, you got these little bronze-looking things. So I'm like, shit, I want one of these. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, what do you got to do? And they said, well, you have to memorize these things. I'm like, well, shit, I can memorize. And so you know, <laughs> that day I like memorized it i'm like i want my chart and uh so i guess that was it i remember in primary having to stand up and recite the articles of faith yeah do you guys remember that yeah yeah so that's what you're referring to right steve yeah the articles of faith and uh i see i don't remember a blazer chart i i I remember things like ctr rings and (laughs) uh, you know but in in the the scouting program that Mm -hmm. was kind of the biggest 
thing like, oh, I want to get this merit badge or I want to get this skill award or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. There were always those kinds of Pavlovian rewards <laughs> that were being <laughs> offered. Yeah. At that, at that point, um, so we would go to like, I guess it was primary. So we go to something with them during the week and play games and they gave popsicles. And yeah. so I'm like, shit, man, you get cool charts and you get popsicles. <laughs> what could I like be this church. This? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, so anyways, it was, uh, I'm, I'm profoundly grateful to the Mormon church um, for a lot of things. And one is it, it, I don't know what my life would be like without it in terms of, you know, as, as a kid, I needed some stable adults to pay attention mm-hmm. to. And there were some really fine adults mm-hmm. who did that and uh, cared about me and cared for me. And then just some really great people that I got to grow up with in the church. And so there's so much I like about the church, just, you know, a lot of the social structure and the, the more community. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The stability it provided for me. Now, I think, I think John DeLynn grew up in Houston, didn't he? Did, did you know the DeLynn's? I did. I, I knew of John mostly. He was a little further out in the sticks. He sure. was, uh, he was out in Katy and, uh, yeah, I was, I was in Houston. Which now, which now they're connected. I mean, you know, it's just all the sprawl of Houston. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you had, and and I, I guess, anytime we talk about the Mormon Church, that there's, there's this term that I learned when I was in graduate school called reification, and and reification means that you take an abstract idea and you treat it like it's something that's real. Like yeah. America, you know? yeah, right. Thing, and, thingification. That's what the yeah, word thing, is. thingification. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and so, like when you're talking about the Mormon Church, there's sometimes where we're talking about uh, a set of teachings uh, or a set of beliefs. There's times that we're talking about like a local congregation and people there. There's times we're talking about like the first presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve and that whole power structure. There's times we're talking about the political stuff. So, I I don't know how to get around that to be really clear when we're talking about the Mormon so it doesn't get lumped into this like all one big amorphous thing uh is that really even important to make those distinctions what do you think when when I did our advocacy here in Utah because we did bump into this sort of the theocracy you know the the gospel of the church and then LDS Inc and that's Mm -hmm. what we hashtagged when we dealt with the church in the political arena i was dealing with lds inc and you were like specifically like marty stevens the lobbyist i was dealing look if you're going to play in the political arena you're going to take the shots on the chin like everybody else and that's how i treated the church and they but they wanted to play both sides they wanted to play they they took their political message to the pulpit which i felt was wrong and, and completely inappropriate when marty stevens is at the pulpit manipulating his position of power to tell people how to vote or not vote on something, especially something that affects people's health. Yeah. And he is not a, a physician. I, I felt that was extremely inappropriate. And especially since they don't have the knowledge on this particular issue or topic, um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them counseling 
their their congregation. But the overstep of having bishops, whether bishops were directly um, told to to organize people to have signatures removed off the ballot initiatives or what, it was happening. And Relief Society lists were being used for political reasons. And to me, that was absolutely inappropriate when the church is dictating how some yeah. of this stuff works. So it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, influence. But, <laughs> but that's, that, that was the, LD. then there was the other side that Steve talks about that I feel, and, and I had a wonderful ward that I grew up in. Um, Elder Bednar was my bishop. He was my state president. I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas during, during those really my years in mutual and where I found some really strong bonds. And like Steve, I don't know where I would have been in high school if I hadn't had that. I yeah. didn't get caught up in drugs and drinking and, and being promiscuous or it just wasn't part of my world. Um, it, cause I was so dived into the church and what was going on there and being part of mutual and going to seminary. Cause Growing up in the mission field, going to seminary means you woke up and you were at the church at 630 in the freaking morning, um, listening to somebody talk about, you know, the gospels. So there was a dedication for me as a teen towards the church um, that I think I appreciated when I was young, um, because I think it did keep me a little safe from yeah. some situations. Well, and let's let's talk about the spirituality part of this too, because you know, Steve, like your your appeal to the Mormon Church, you mentioned the charts, the popsicles, but when we <laughs> talked yesterday, you also said that as a kid you were very spiritual, and yes. so in in this unbalanced family environment that you're describing, what what did spiritual? What was that like? So. You know, that's something that I look back in retrospect as an adult and recognize my innate spirituality. And what it was at the time was just being human. I think that we're born spiritual creatures and we have we often have something that uh, chases that out of us. And for me, I really do think it was the Mormon church that chased it away. Um, when you say spiritual, like what, what, can you give me some examples so that I can know like what you mean when you're talking, when you're using that word spiritual? Yeah, it's something that I'm just now starting to reclaim, which is a love, a deep abiding love of other humans, of nature, a oneness with nature and with other people, um, a patience for other people. Um, I mean, I really was a loving, loving kid, accepting of everyone and everything. Um, just feeling great compassion for people who are struggling. And then when I'm 10, I adopted a paradigm that I really don't think is very loving, which is interesting because I dig Mormons. I really dig ex-Mormons. And so there clearly are some good teachings there. I think that Mormons are really are good people. Um, but the doctrine 
it's pretty fucked up. I mean, uh, you know, Christine and her podcast talked about learning that her dad was going to hell and, and it just it was traumatic. And so not only was my dad gone to hell because, you know, we joined partially and, you know, my brothers were going to hell, you know, one brother joined and my mother and, you know, it was pretty clear teaching then that suicide, you had screwed up your probationary period and he was going to hell. Right. And so, you know, what am I clinging to? I mean, I'm in the sea drowning, so I'm clinging to a buoy that's telling me people around me are going to hell. And I'm in Houston. I'm, I'm like one of very few Mormon kids in my school growing up, you know, every grade level. Well, they're all going to hell. Well, now they have the chance in the afterlife, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, everyone around me is on the wrong path. It is such an arrogant, <laughs> crazy way to, to look at the world, that everyone around you is wrong. Yeah. Everyone around you is screwing up, that the things they're doing are trivial, meaningless. And so, you know, you as humans, we adopt the stuff we hear, the stuff we're taught. And so, you know, I lost that love for everyone and everything around me because it was all wrong. Right. I mean, even this earth itself, we're taught that it used to be awesome, but now it's in degraded fallen state. And, uh, you know, and then the bit about if you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to get your reward, it's not really about being a good person. It's about doing certain things, not doing other things. And, uh, you know, you drink a Dr. Pepper and well, you might not go. And, all of all of these crazy rules and rituals. And so, you know, now dogma to me is anathema. I just yeah. can't stand it. Anytime anyone wants to suggest that I live according to their dogma, I just have this visceral reaction against it. Yeah. Yeah, I find it really ironic. I mean, there, there's several things about the, the, the teachings in the Mormon church that I found ir ironic, but probably the biggest is the story of the Ramiumptum in the book of Mormon, yeah. the Zoramites, you know, I mean, here, here's this story that was written into a book of Mormon, probably 1830 by Joseph Smith about this group of people that used to get up on this, that stand behind a pulpit and then brag about how we are the most chosen of all the people. Thank you, God, for making us better than everybody else around us. And, you know, they're wearing all the best clothes. They're driving all the best cars. I mean, they weren't driving cars back then, but you know, they would have been, you know, those Zoramites would have been in their Mercedes and, oh, absolutely. you know, and, and uh, fast forward from 1830 to Salt Lake today. I mean, it's, you've got that Ramiumptum in every single chapel and you've got th that attitude that I, that, that was one of the things that really turned me off about the Mormon church as well, Steve, is, is like, I, I don't want to be conditioned every it's not even every Sunday. It's like every single day where I'm reading scriptures and doing prayers and this to think that I'm better than other people around me. I just got so sick and tired of that. That's hard to get out of. Like once, yeah. like recognizing that was in me and going, I, I don't want that in me anymore. That's a hard one. That's, it's, a, that's it's, a lifetime battle. You know, we're, the standard is to be perfect. Humans aren't 
perfect. So gives us all of this guilt. I think that, you know, it's tough, almost impossible to live the religion and be fully human. Um, I think that it just bashes out the humanity and replaces it with shame. Well, with shame and delusion. uh, I mean, it's really, really sad. And I think that's part of the reason why ex-Mormons are just some of my very favorite people because, okay, we grew up in a cult. We have the commonality of that. And then we, you know, figured out some escape route. Uh, But then you know, to look back, there's you, there, there are different kinds of folks who, uh, different stages, maybe ways people get out of the church. And some of it is they just stop going, but they're still very Mormon in all of their thoughts, all of their thinking. They, they look for some other form of, uh, dogma that they can adhere to. Um, then there are folks who they still are very worried about what the Mormon church thinks about them, what they're doing. But then, you know, there's a point where there's for a lot of folks uh, reflection where people are like, God, I thought some really crazy things that led me to be bad in a lot of ways. I need to heal. I need to heal people around me. And, you know, I, I like people who have walked a hard path and anyone who's done that they've walked a long and hard path i mean i'll give you mine i i only realized um in the last two years that uh i've i've been sexist as fuck um you know very patriarchal patriarchal misogynistic now i would have denied that i would have pointed to different things no what do you mean but uh I did not see or value women. Um, and it just, just feels so awful to admit, but I, you know, that that's a personal failing, but also that's ingrained, that's taught. I mean, the role of men and women in the church, it is not the same. And I think no one would say it's the same. And I think it's clearly fact that one of those roles is superior than the other. Yeah. In, in what, in what ways can you, can you get a little bit specific about your particular flavor of misogyny? Uh, yeah. I mean, not, not too long ago, um, a couple months ago, I was listing, listing my favorite 10 albums, hmm. my favorite 10 books. They were all men. I mean, all 20 for 20 and so it's just things like that where i'm like i have nothing against chrissy hine i have nothing you know against even x i have nothing against you know but but all my attention went to men i think men have the valuable things to say the valuable insights well no that doesn't that's nothing against women it's do you disagree that these men have wonderful music wonderful things to say and so you know, now uh, I'm just putting forth the effort of, you know, half the books I read, uh, at least half, I want them to be written by women. Um, I won't speak on panels if it's all men. Um, so I'm just trying to see the world better and less misogynistically. 
Well, I'm glad we have Christi Christine here. And I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I did it on purpose, but I didn't do it on purpose for that reason. But it's but it's true what Steve is saving, and I think it's it's a global thing. Though yeah. we don't we don't respect the divine feminine, and yeah. we have uh, men have written history that that women are here to serve, and that's definitely not that's not what the divine tells me. That's certainly not what the divine tells me. I also on the op opposite end of that, I am not one who is um, I don't hate men. It's, it so often feels like that, you know, in order to be a feminist that you have to, you know, hate men. And I really don't like the negative narrative because I have three sons and yeah. I want my boys to feel loved and cherished by women and respected just as much as I want them to love and cherish and respect women. I think that the sexes need to identify the value in each other. It's yeah. so important. It's so, so important as as we move forward in history that we don't look at one as higher or lower than the other that as partners that we are you know we each bring so much to any given situation yeah and so yeah and and so what what i'm hearing both of you say really is that we we carry around in our minds these attitudes these ideas these feelings um whether it's uh, you know, we're better than other people because we have the gospel or men are better than women because of the priesthood and the patriarchal culture. But, but these are things that we carry inside of us and it filters the way that we see the world. It, it, it impacts the way that we interact with other people in the world. And what you've done is recognize, oh, I've got this, <laughs> this filter that is my mind that I want to change. I, yeah. I, was, I was thinking about it this morning as I was making the bed and you know, you know how you make the bed and there'll be like a couple of places where there's wrinkles. And so you go over and you smooth it out. Cause you want to have a nice clean, like how many of those wrinkles and just like bunched up stuff shit do I have in my mind <laughs> that is whether it's misogyny or racism or, you know, like anything where I'm, I'm thinking bad about myself or bad about other people and it's unfair. And I could just, can I just smooth that out? So that I don't have that inter interfering with the way that I see the world and what the world means to me. That's okay, Glenn, Glenn, on this, uh, this Zoom call, I will show you your mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it right there. That bed. <laughs> but you're you're laying on the nice made bed, are you not, Steve? That's yeah. That's the beauty of a, a hotel room with two beds, and I'm staying here two nights. Yeah. I just put out the do not disturb. I'm working in here, and I'll sleep on this bed tonight. <laughs> and let so, somebody else let, let let the maids make it tomorrow. All right. Yeah. So so here's here's here was kind of my path to starting to see women. Um, so. Sarah, my wife and I, we were out with, uh, with Courtney Clark Kendrick. So see Jane of blogging fame. Um, so they were talking about something. So I said some smart ass comment. And so Courtney, she looked at me and she said, Steve, you don't even see me. Mm. And then just kept, kept talking with Sarah. And I'm like, what? You know, because cause I know that Courtney loves me and cares deeply about me, but I had interrupted their conversation with my smart ass. And so she, she just bluntly, because she is blunt. That's part of the reason I love her. She's like, Steve, you don't even see me. And I'm like, 
but I do. I, you're amazing. You amaze me. But, you know, I just sat with that. Uh, I didn't want to argue with her because I could tell the way she said it. I was going to lose that one that I needed to <laughs> I needed to do some thinking. And then I was in a mushroom ceremony two weeks later and I saw these amazing lights and it was the most amazing light show I had ever seen. And it, I'd never seen anything like it. So it was extraordinary. But then I realized that it was familiar, that I knew exactly what it was. Um, and so, you know, in this space where we go, this mystical state of consciousness, I'm like, how can this be that I've never seen anything this amazing, yet I know what this is? And then I realized it's Sarah that I was looking at my wife mm -hmm. and that I know her. I know her very well, yet I don't know her at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is in, in the last year, last two years. And so, you know, I came home and uh, someone drove me home and I was still kind of in the medicine. And so she loves when she gets secondhand smoke when I'm in the medicine. And so what I'll do is I'll just come, I'll, I'll just walk in the room and just lay on her and we'll mm. just be nose to nose while we talk. Yeah. And so I'm telling her all of this and, uh, you know, she's, she's crying because she hasn't felt, you know, she loves me and I treat her well. Well, I guess we'll get into this other than when I'm cheating behind her back and breaking her heart. But, um, you know, she knows that I value her, but yet, she sees what I hadn't seen, how true this is that I haven't seen her in many ways. And, you know, what I kind of realized is that she's Johnny Carson and I'm Ed McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was yes. the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. So it's, it's been super fun to get to know her and just, just, to, you know, I imagine we're going to get into my deception and all of that. And the thing is, I was afraid of her. And that's mm. because I didn't know her and, and was probably treating her like she was my mom or something. And so it's just been awesome to get to know her and to stand independently, autonomously, yeah. you know, respect her that she might have a negative reaction to whatever I'm saying or doing. But. I love her. She loves me. Let's figure out what we should do about this. So, you know, that was the start is CJ and Courtney just bluntly saying, Steve, you don't see me. And I'm like, damn, if right or wrong for her to think that I'm doing something wrong. I appreciate her, appreciate her courage in, in telling me that, but then to see, wow, even, even my own wife, I've been missing the show that a lot of these revelations I get, that's hard to take. You know, I'm yeah. 50 at that time, I'm 54 years old and I haven't even seen my wife that I've been married to for 30 years. That's a pretty shallow human being. But I was, Steve and I had talked about this. I think honestly, this is something that happens to all of us human beings. Yeah. We get told what is priority and what is important. And we, aren't told and encouraged to have deeper connection with ourselves or just so much emphasis, at least for me, was my role 
in my existence in life was to support my priesthood holder, my, my husband. That's the whole reason why I was, it was alive. There was no emphasis on, on my bliss and happiness and what that really means. And, and when you find that yourself, then you get to, to really connect with other people. And Steve, I think none of us put our all into those connections because we're dragged from thing to thing. This is important. This is important that you got to pay attention to this and don't forget about this. And are you being the best dad? Are you being the best employee? Are you being the best coworker? You know, you have all these titles and, and labels that are put on you that you have expectations to live up to. I can see very easily how human beings get distracted and lost into what is important. I think that's why we grasp towards religion and, and spirituality and finding the, that, that source in us that can, can ground us again. So we find those deeper connections. Because I think as we age in life, and maybe those who are, are gifted to, to understand this younger, we start to see our own mortality. We yeah. see that death is coming. And we look back and like, what did I learn from this amazing lesson? Because I do believe whatever energy we've created here, we are taking that experience to the next experience, whatever that is, yeah. whatever energy burst I am. Um, and we get reflective about this. Hmm. You know? we get yeah. Yeah. So, so playing off of that, back to your question, Glenn, of what does it mean to be spiritual? Yeah. What do I mean when I say it killed my spirituality? It's, it's the word that Christine used there, deeper, depth. I think to be spiritual, it just means that we, when the universe sings, we vibrate. Mm. That we pick up on that vibration. We vibrate with the universe. And obviously, I wasn't vibrating with C. Jane, who is amazing. I wasn't vibrating with my wife, who is tremendous. I wasn't vibrating probably with any woman on the planet. Um, you know, that's, a, you cannot say you're spiritual if, if that's the case. And so to me, I think as a kid, I just vibrated with the good in the world around me. Look for the good in everything. And then when I was 10 years old, I got the answer key. Look for the people who will set your soul free. You know, Mormonism has all the answers. Now, it's it's completely false. You, you don't have the answer to anything. It always seems impossible until it's done. But I stopped asking questions. I stopped wondering at the world around me because I knew it all. Mm. I knew the answer. Look for the good in everyone. All right, so this is where I want to end part one for today. And I want to end this episode a little differently than I end most episodes. I want to share a bit of myself with you here. I want to share with you the way that I see the world. And I want to tell you what I think about the Mormon Church. And I hope that by doing this, I can clear up any confusion in myself or in any of you listeners about me being any kind of apologist for the Mormon Church or for any other kind of harmful institution or ideology. So I was given the unofficial nickname, the TBM Whisperer, by Brother Jake many years ago on this podcast because I've often said things like, 
Hang on a second, let's not be so hasty to judge, let's look at this from another perspective, blah blah blah. So I want to talk about why I do that, and I want to tell you that I don't do that to be charitable to anyone or anything that does not deserve my charity. I do it to be charitable to myself. Now I'm not trying to convince any of you here to see things my way, and if anything, I'd like to hear from those of you who listen to what I'm about to say next and feel that I'm terribly, terribly wrong. So here's where I'm going to start. I am convinced that the only thing that I ever experienced in this world and the only thing that I ever have experienced in this world is my own mind, my own evolving, changing, malleable, bias-filled, fiction-filled mind. It isn't the same mind that I had when I was five years old, but that five-year-old version is still in there. It isn't the same mind I'll have when I turn 50, but the mind I have right now will become that 50-year-old mind. It's my filter of the world, my filter of reality. I can't experience reality in any other way except through my evolving, changing, malleable, bias-filled, fiction-filled mind. When I look out the window, and I see a tree blowing in the wind, what am I seeing? I'm seeing an image created by my brain as light from the sun bounces off that tree, hits my eyeball, is turned into electronic signals that are rendered into an image inside of my brain. So I'm really only experiencing my own brain. Now, if I was blind, if that mechanism for sight didn't work, I would experience nothing in my brain. If I put on rose-colored glasses, the light would filter through those glasses and the image in my brain would be rose-colored. It's still my brain that I'm seeing with all of the influences and all of the filters that shape that experience. Are you with me? If I put on Fleetwood Mac's The Dance, which is one of my favorite video concerts of all time, and I close my eyes and I just listen, to those five brilliant musicians blend their own minds together in the creation of the music that they create. What am I hearing? I'm hearing air molecules bumping into each other, creating invisible shapes and wavelengths of different pitches and frequencies in the air. This hits my eardrum and is turned into electronic signals that my brain translates into the sound I'm hearing. If I was deaf, I wouldn't hear it. If I stuffed cotton balls into my eardrum, the air molecules would filter through those cotton balls and the sound created by my brain would be muted and distorted. It's still my brain that I'm hearing with all of the influences and all of the filters that are shaping that experience. So do you see where I'm going with this? My experience of seeing the tree or hearing the music is a result of real things that really exist in the outside world, objective reality, if you will. And that objective reality is filtered through all kinds of different filters to create a subjective experience in my brain. How many filters are there? How many of those filters are unique to only me? My mind has many layers of filters, like the rose-colored glasses or the cotton balls in my ear holes. 
many, many layers of filters that turn external objective reality into my own private, unique, subjective experience of that reality. My own thoughts and feelings about what I'm seeing and hearing act as a filter. And so much more that's happening in my subconscious mind as my brain rapidly compares everything it is perceiving right here and now with everything similar it has ever experienced in the past. I'm not consciously aware of my brain doing this. I'm only consciously aware of the conclusions that my brain makes after those comparisons are made. But once again, my conscious experience of the world is what is filtered through my mind. My mind shapes and colors my experience of reality, and I'm really only ever experiencing what my mind is filtering of that reality. I'm really only ever experiencing my own mind. Does that make sense to you? Well, this is how I see the world at least. So if I'm talking to you about my experience with that tree or with Fleetwood Mac, I'm really only talking to you about the different layers of filters within my own mind. Okay, so what does that mean about the Mormon church? It means that the Mormon church, whatever that is, just like the tree or the Fleetwood Mac concert, is something that I've only experienced in and through my mind with all of those filters. Like everything that I think and feel, my thoughts and my feelings about the Mormon church are my mind. And here's the most important part of this. If I hate the Mormon church, I'm hating a part of my own mind. I'm essentially hating myself. If I love the Mormon church, I'm loving a part of my own mind. I'm essentially loving myself. If I feel shame, guilt, or grief about the Mormon church, I'm feeling shame, guilt, and grief about myself. In other words, I'm creating in my mind shame, guilt, grief, or fear, anger, or pride, or forgiveness, or love, or joy. And what is that aimed at? It's aimed at a portion of myself, at my own mind, that part of my mind that is acting as a very realistic symbol for something that exists in the outside world. When this power begins to form, it might be likened to having a little factory in your body. Now Boyd K. Packer talked to us about little factories, but the mind is the ultimate little factory. And I want my ultimate little factory to produce love, and kindness, and charity, generosity, clarity, acceptance, truth. I want my mind to love reality for what it is and not be clouded by any kind of murky, distorted mind fog that's filtering reality. That's how I feel. Now, I cannot speak to Steve's experience of the Mormon church being the thing in the outside world that stripped away his spiritual curiosity. I'm glad that that spiritual curiosity came back if it ever truly went away. So like I said, I really can't speak for Steve's experience. I can, however, relate to similar feelings that I've had. Because I felt for a very long time that the Mormon church is to blame. That the Mormon church is what made me egotistical. Is what made me think that I was better than others. Now, however, I don't believe it's fair or accurate to say it was the Mormon church that did any of that to me. Instead, it was me doing that to myself. It was the way that I interpreted the messages of the Mormon church, which is different from the way that other people interpret the messages of the Mormon church. 
It was the way that I chose to respond to my perception of the Mormon Church, which is different than the way that other people respond to their perceptions of the Mormon Church. It was the way that I reacted to what I imagined the Mormon Church to be. It was the way that I interacted with my own mind, with myself. The way that I accepted some things and rejected others. The entire time, without being aware of it, I was accepting or rejecting only different pieces of my own mind. So what does that do for me now? It means that I don't want to hate any part of myself. What kind of person do I want to be? I want to be like Steve when he saw those beautiful lights, that beautiful psilocybin-fueled fireworks display happening within his mind, that natural Rorschach ink blot that his consciousness was focusing on, looking at that piece of his mind and recognizing something familiar there, associating that with the deep love and admiration that he has for his wife, recognizing all of the cloudy, murky confusion in his mind over the years that had kept him from seeing and appreciating her for who she truly is. Or perhaps rediscovering the deep love and admiration that he has for himself, for his own mind, and his own ability to create a perspective of deep love and admiration for his wife or for anything else that is beautiful in the world. That he can see that beauty and accept it rather than muting it with a distorting, filtering cloud of mind fog. I don't want to create more distorting mind fog within my own mind. My mind naturally creates enough distorting fog all on its own. So I'm kind of passionate about this. I hope that it makes sense to you. And I hope that you understand that anytime I push back on anyone who's complaining about the Mormon church or anything else really for that matter, I'm doing it from a desire to turn my own mind factory and hopefully your mind factories as well into joy producing factories, appreciation producing factories, gratitude producing factories, because I want to be like Jason Mraz. I want to look for the good and I want to create joy through honest gratitude about even the most difficult experiences of life. So I want to end today's podcast with a Jason Mraz song. I've shared clips of it before. This is the song Gratitude, and it's at the end of his album that came out in June 2020, Look for the Good. I desire all to receive it. I thank the boys who kicked my ass when I was 17. I thank the ones who chose to laugh and those who acted mean.
song i love the entire album and i want to end this episode by letting you know that i am grateful to you dear listener whoever you are whatever it is that brought you here today i'm grateful that you're interested enough in exploring your own reaction to the things that you hear on this podcast that you take the time to listen to listen to me to listen to yourself because this sound that you're hearing right now This is your mind you're hearing. (laughs) And this moment is one that you and I are creating together right now through this very interesting technology in this world that keeps bringing our human evolved minds closer to each other than they've ever been in the history of our species. I'm grateful for the growing pains I experience, the opportunities to learn who I am, what I want from life, and turn my mind into a powerful, joy-creating machine to put down the weapons that I use against myself. I don't need them anymore, and neither do you. Unless, of course, you think that you still do. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, that sounds really nice, Glenn. I'd like to be able to turn my mind to that same kind of joy-creating factory too, but I just don't know how. Well, you know how to get a hold of me. And I am a certified holistic life coach, so, you know, just saying. 
And I hope that you'll tune in for part two of this conversation with Steve and Christine. You won't have to wait very long. Thank you again for listening to Infants on Thrones. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets light. Destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on the